I love it. Dedication. When we first started the church, like everybody was so worried about the P's and Q's of every little thing because no one knew. They're like, if they don't tell us what to do, like people will eventually sit down when their legs get tired, even if I forget to say sit. But I love it that y'all would stand if we had to. That was a sibling of mine. Um, I won't say her name, Tracy, who said, nobody told us to sit. Somebody needs to do that. Sorry, Trace. I mean, just sit if you want to sit, okay? If you want to sit, you can sit. We don't make you stand. We like to stand because we get excited. We can't contain it. Like, it's stressful to hold in something that's meant to come out. Anyway, love you, sis. Um, Today we're starting a new series, and um, it's a good one. All pastors say that, but I really mean it. It's actually good. It's a good one like the other good one. It's always the best sermon of the year, the one that you're at church for. And um, we're going to look at, in four weeks, four, four weeks, we're going to look at only the first six chapters of the book of 1 Samuel. We like to try to cover a character once a year and a book once a year in a more expository approach. And in four weeks, we can only really cover six chapters of 1 Samuel. But I try to pull enough in there that you can leave with something new. We can learn something together. And so this series, I want to call it the one in between. The one in between is the one who never gets the recognition. The one in between is the one who never gets the pat on the back, never gets the um, prize, never gets the crown, literally like the king of Israel. <clears throat> the ones in between are the ones that make the people you see, that, that appear to be the one that have achieved it. They're the ones that actually make it happen, are the ones in between. It's a team thing. There is no single individual in the history of man that could have succeeded without his team. And even though Jesus was God in the flesh, Jesus needed a team. There's a reason he mentored 12 before he left, because he had to have a team. And so I thought it'd be really cool in this series to focus on the one that never gets the credit, the one behind the scenes, the people that run the computer, the people that set the stuff up, the people that, that take the pictures and the people that, that make the coffee. And like, those are the ones in between. You, you getting this? So, so Samuel, the prophet, was also that guy. And several others. See, it's a series of people that lead to the crowning achievement of one that gets all the glory. But it's a team thing. Look to your neighbor, tell him it's a team thing. There's no I in team. All you sports people know that. And there's a reason. Every great person of God has someone in between them and the plan that God outlined for their life. Someone that helped pave the way for their success. Even in the scripture. Even in the Bible, it took many to achieve the vision that God set forth for humanity. If we take away the key moments of those individuals that made critical, they were critical decisions. That means without them, it's catastrophic. They made critical decisions for God. If we take those key moments out, the outcome of God's plan for mankind may have been different. It wouldn't have achieved God's plan. That's just it. It wouldn't have happened. But God executes and orchestrates perfectly. The precursor to two men in the limelight that we know, or maybe you don't know, Israel's first two kings, Saul and then David, that get all the glory, 
had some people in between that got them to that place. And that's what we want to focus on. And the, in, in the main character in book is the story of the prophet named Samuel. This was the one God chose to find Israel's first two kings. And as we'll see today, even Samuel had a precursor in his journey that paved the path of how he would end up serving the Lord. See, everybody has someone else that got them to where they're at. So you can never say, I did it, because you can't do it without somebody else helping you. You can't. It's not possible. But before we can understand the character of Samuel in this series, we must first see how he came to be through the sacrifice of his mother, Hannah. We got a Hannah. We got another Hannah who's not here. Is there three Hannahs or two in this church? I don't even know. There's a lot of Hannahs. There was like a Hannah Road on the way home from Gulf Shores. Remember, Michelle? We were driving by it. We almost texted Cameron. Like, Cameron, we see Hannah everywhere. This is weird. His girlfriend's name is Hannah. And um, Samuel wasn't anything without Hannah. And Saul and David weren't anything without Samuel. And so forth, and so forth, and so forth. It's a team thing. This is going to be a lot more scripture than you're used to, at least at One Seed Church. But this is what's called an expository approach where we're going to go through the passage together. And it's really hard to do in 30 minutes. That's why four weeks I can only get through six chapters. And that's not even line by line. But I want to give you enough that you should leave fed, full, and better. Amen? Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And then there's going to be one verse at the end of that I'm going to throw up there. This is going to give you some context on how we got to Samuel. There was a certain man from, excuse me, I did not practice my Arabic pronunciation like I normally do when I have a lot of weird words. So if I butcher these, I'm sorry. There was a certain man from Ramatham, a Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. So Elkanah is a guy, the son of Jeroham, you know, Jeroham, Elkanah. Oh, I know them. The son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of, not Tofu, Tohu, the son of Zuth and Ephraimite, you know, you know, down the street off the block. Like I'm just Elkanah by the block, Jenny from the block, like that kind of block, you know. But here's what we want to talk about is Elkanah. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other was Panit. Panina. Panina had, not pinata. Oh, don't, he's just so disrespectful to the word. Not Panina. I'm just saying not pinata. It's Panina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, the high priests, were as they were priests of the Lord. Now, I'm trying to give you all this context here, and I know it's weird because it says he has two wives, but this is the Old Testament. This is, this is a different dispensation or time period, so don't go home saying, PJ said you can have a couple wives. It's cool. It's not cool. We're going to be doing a marriage soon. It's not cool. One wife, one man, they too shall become one flesh. It's going to be good. So the two wives thing, just deal with it. It's part of the passage. He had the one wife who was, had a lot of kids and a lot of things going on, and then he had Hannah who had no children. 
Verse 4, and whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave double the portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her room. So he had favor on her because she couldn't have any kids. I kind of wondered, like, did he feel bad? He loved her. So he was just trying to show a little more love because he knew on the inside she hurt because she was barren. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, Penina, kept provoking her in order to irritate you. Can I just plug right there? Just because they had two wives doesn't mean it was a good thing. You see the jealousy right there? There was jealousy, guys. All the way back with Rahab and Sarah, there was jealousy. Like, it wasn't meant to be. Can I just preach that? God allows some things that aren't meant to be and aren't good for you. But God will allow it sometimes to get you to the next place. Verse 7. She would provoke her on a regular, and this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival, Penina, provoked her till she wept, and then she would lose her appetite and quit eating. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his high chair, on his chair, not in a high chair, was sitting on his chair. By the, I said, I got babies on my mind, the high chair. We had to buy one. <laughs> Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. And in her deep anguish, everybody say anguish. Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Sometimes you got to get to this spot to get better. She weeped bitterly, stood up and prayed, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. She's saying, I will commit my son. If you bless me, I will commit to you that he shall go in the ministry for your glory. It's easy to promise God something when you're at the bottom. You know, that's the easy time to do it. What about after? Oh, we're going to get there. I want to jump down to verse 20 instead of giving you the rest here. So after she prayed and pleaded, verse 20 says, So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. She, she pleaded with God that if he shall, she will commit to a life of servitude in the ministry, which is a good thing, for Samuel. And I shall name him Samuel because I asked the Lord for him. The title of this message in week one of the one in between is Blessing Through Sacrifice. Blessing Through Sacrifice. The only way to find blessing is through sacrifice. It's not fun always getting to the promised land. And she promised to commit him if he would. And God, God, God shows us in this passage that he moves upon the sincerity of Hannah. He doesn't always move first. In fact, I say it all the time, you step, I step. But in this scenario, he gave her the baby upon her word her promise of what she would do. She hadn't done it yet. 
So God moved upon her sincerity. And what's, what, what, I wanna, what I wanna show you today is the flow of how it started and how it ends in this passage, in this area of the text here in chapter one and then early chapter two. It started with what? It started with her praying. Praying was first. Praying was first. I don't know about you all, but my prayers aren't very good unless I'm really hurting. They're kind of boring at bedtime unless I'm really hurting. And if I'm really hurting, they don't happen then. They happen immediately in the pain. I don't wait because I got to cry out then. A lot of times it's in service. A lot of times it's in the car. Like it's wherever it's got to happen. When it gets bad enough and you have anguish like Hannah had, she says, I got to pray now. And she stood up, the Bible said, and prayed. She didn't say, I'll get to it later when I do my now I lay me down to sleeps. No, I'm going to pray because I, am, I have anguish. And so God could sense the sincerity, and God will move upon sincerity. That's the first thing it shows us, that he'll move ahead of the schedule if you're sincere, like Hannah. It has to be really bad sometimes to pray for it. you got to feel really barren and provoked for a long time to pray like that and really say, like, there's no plan B, God. I need you. I need you. Sincerity yields a blessing before the actual sacrifice she promised of putting Samuel under Eli to grow as a prophet in the name of the Lord. So what happens when the blessing comes first? What would you do? What have I done? <laughs> oh, anybody ever trade like um, cards, comic cards, baseball cards when they're a kid? You ever heard of Indian giving? Anybody ever heard of Indian giving? We had the comic cards, we had baseball, we had every type of card that existed, and Marvel cards were the newest thing, and every once in a while, you'd get a hologram card, and it was worth like five bucks instantly. You didn't have to appreciate. It was gold out the package, even though they didn't have the gum. It's not Topps baseball cards. These are Marvel comic cards, and so, so you get in the motion of getting that hologram, and you're trading with your friends, and you're, you're sitting there in the summertime after a good game of Monopoly where everybody cheats. You, 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 you get out the Marvel cards, and you start trading, and then before you know it, people are mad about the trades, and they want it back. They misjudge. Colton, he was so good at baseball card trading. When we got him into baseball cards, he thought it was good to collect all the duplicates. Every baseball card. He, come on, people. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the cheap duplicates? He thought that was good, so he was giving away at homeschool group all his good cards to get more duplicates of the same cheap junk cards. I said, son, no. That's not how we do it. You need to get those cards back. And he's like, no, Dad, I want duplicates. I'm like, no, you're losing in this trade. Remember, Michelle? He had like 50 of uh, Joe Schmo who never had a batting average because he was just on the bench. Like, way to go. Like, he thought that was winning. But sometimes we can make a deal with God in the heat of the moment. But then when the deal comes through and then we get back to feeling good again, we can say, well, has anybody else done that? I've done it. I'm preaching to myself. Has anybody ever, like, like, like maybe they're not as aggressive with their commitment once things were back in order, you know? I've seen sick people uh, on their deathbed, and they, they cry out for God, and then they're healed, and then they go back to, to forgetting God healed them. That's bad. You can never take away the source of the strength in, in that, that season of 
living the good life can distract us. That's why it can be dangerous and we want to keep him at the center. But what was different about Hannah is she did not do that. She actually followed through. She followed through when the baby came. Like she's going to put that baby in a in a ministry robe back then, you know, they wore some funky robes and, and she was going to put him in, in his little onesie, you know, it was a onesie robe already, just shove him in the, shove him in the synagogue or whatever, you know, like, like, like that's how dedicated she was. And most moms would be like, well, I want to like have some time with this kid. And she was just getting him right there in front of Eli because she promised and God honored her sincerity. God trusted Hannah enough to give her the blessing upon her dedication before the follow through. That's pretty powerful. It was similar to Job, but Job was tested. Job was tested ahead of what he would do because God knew his follow through. Again, a sign of sincerity. God has to trust you. He has to trust what you will do with his name. And he has to trust what you will do with his good blessing and, and riches and things. And if he can't get to a place of trust, he will withhold and wait. It doesn't mean he's not watching out for you. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. But God wants to use you. And until he can trust you, he won't use you fully. He'll wait. He'll wait. Because it matters. It matters. So my question is, are we trusting, are we committing to God so he can trust us with the blessing. God will drop a blessing in the most apparent failing season of the world. That's when he'll drop a big blessing, Jen. Jen knows. He know, she knows we don't mess around. We believe it, and we know it will happen. And it's scary. It's scary to trust God like that. It's scary to trust God when the world says, why do you believe like that? Why do you think that will happen? I mean, look. That's what, that's what the provoking was by, by Panina. I'm just going to call her Pinata because she gets on my nerves already because she was a provoker and she had all the blessing in the world and she was, she was treating her bad and she didn't have any blessing. So why would you dog someone who wasn't blessed when you've been blessed? You're supposed to give that blessing away. So Pinata had it all backwards. Someone's going to bust her soon and all the candy's going <laughs> to pour out. Unless your kids are too little and you have to rip it open for them and let the candy fall out. So then when they hit it, they think they busted it open. Anybody ever dealt with a pinata? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Have you ever felt provoked like Hannah? Year after year? I'm not talking provoked during a season. I mean, have you ever felt provoked, provoked year after year, but you served God anyway? Hannah didn't plea in the moment she was provoked. She stood up and prayed. She ran to, to God even stronger in the moment she could have just said, God's not with me. That's special. And she's one of those in between that had to do that. Otherwise, no Samuel. No Samuel, no David, no David, well, excuse me, no Saul, who didn't David dethroned, took his place, etc. Samuel's the one who anointed the youngest of Jesse, the young and ruddy, good-looking. David. Samuel did that, but no Hannah, no Samuel, no Samuel, no anointing of the young one of all the brothers. If we go to church, uh, verse 21, this is where Hannah follows through. This is the hard part where she actually does something with the baby after she said she would do it, like she actually 
gave God her word and followed through, like, whoa. Is that even still cool to do? Aren't we like in a really good artificial culture now where nothing means nothing? Did you know if we can be the unique difference in the world, we can, we can steer people who are lost back into his house? Like we're in this world where, where your word means nothing. We're in this world where lying is just, okay, it's no big deal. And, and, and if we can be as the church, this unique slice, fraction of the culture that still says no, we're, we're, we're a church of our word. We're a person of our word. We mean what he, we say. If we love you, we love you. If we're going to be there for you, we're going to do our best to be there for you. We're going to do everything we can. Like, the world needs that, you know? Y'all think, you, you agree with that? The world needs that. It's easy to let someone else do it. That's what I used to say about military and police and everything else. I'm glad somebody else does it. That's how I always felt. And I'm still pretty confident in that since I cut so easy. But sometimes God needs you to be the one. Verse 21, we're still in chapter one here. It says, when her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. Now the baby has been born at this point, Samuel. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, which means like not feeding off mom, milk, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. This is with Eli. She's talking about presenting him and then letting him live with Eli so that he can grow up in the ways mentored by the high priest Eli. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was. I mean, the kid's in diapers. The kid don't even have all his baby fat yet. That's how young he is. You know when they first come out, they're kind of skinny still? Well, some of your, some of your kids may not be, but, but my kids, like, they didn't have any good thighs on them until about three months in. They got the good chubby thighs. When they first came out, they're like, well, I won't say. Some of them just look scary when they first come out. Little aliens, but I love them. <laughs> he called the baby an alien. <laughs> so the baby had to be not breastfeeding anymore. And after that, she was going to take him to Eli. Verse 24, after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, everybody has those, and ephah, a fl- an ephah, a flower, that's an amount, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, this was common to sacrifice clean meat at the tabernacle as an offering to the Lord. Just go read Leviticus. After the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. They brought Samuel now to Eli. See, Eli was the current high priest who was then instilled and mentor into the new prophet. You with me? She said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. He was there when she was pleading in anguish with her prayer. Eli was there, and she's saying, that was me. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I will give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. We're having a baby, and as soon as the baby's born and done feeding, breastfeeding, like, uh, I'm going to give the kid away? That's not easy to do. 
well, you promised if God gave you a baby, you would commit the baby to the Lord. But that's not easy to do. And now the baby's just so cute. Oh, no nookers. We call them nookers. They're pacifiers. I don't know. We call them nookers. That's what I learned to call them. People give me a strange look. If you read the thing, it says nook. Okay. Anyway, we don't do the pacifier. And our kids just fine. They just have severe behavior problems. No, they're good. And so I can't imagine like taking the brand new baby now and just going and handing them off to Eli. Michelle, are you okay with that? Silence means no. Gangster comes out. No, we're not doing that. And so, and so that's what she did though. So like her word was followed by her action. And the reason the action was able to take place because God trusted her word from the prayer. That's powerful. God didn't wait for her to go do something like in a lot of times where he, you, 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 you show your faithfulness, but God, God somehow knew she was different ahead of schedule. It's the follow through. Because of her follow through, even greater bless, blessings now shall come to Israel. Because remember, Samuel was put there to do what? To become a prophet. To do what? To elect Israel's first king. You see what's happening? There's a residual impact. That was a sermon back in 2018. There was a residual impact to the decision she made. It wasn't just in that week. It wasn't just that month when you got the, you know, the thing and you decided to do it this way. And God says, look ahead of the schedule. Look at what your decisions right now are doing later. Look at what they're doing later. It's not just about us. It's about what our decisions are yielding for them and the next person because God is planting something down your family tree, perhaps. And that's what happened. The only way to find a blessing like that is through sacrifice. God gave the baby. Now what? We return back to your promise, God. We promise it back to you. That's why it's sacrifice, is because I'm sure mom wanted to keep the baby a little longer, but she sacrificed and was paving the path for the prophet. I like in verse 23, let's read 23 again. You guys like my church t-shirt? This is my, my nice t-shirt. The other one was sweaty. And I said, sorry, Larry, I got to go put on my nice old t-shirt. <laughs> the preacher. And what does he wear? Look at these. He's got Adidas on. Is that cool? You know, pastors like to be comfortable too sometimes. I had one time, Andre, he gave me a look when I wore some stretch pants. He went like, no, he didn't. I'm like, what's up, Andre? I wear some stretch pants once in a while. They're not tight. That would be bad. Nobody wants to see that. Verse 23. Stay on topic, guys. Verse 23. Remember, he said, why are you staying back? And she says, I got to do this. And he says, do what seems best to you. Do what's best to you. Right now, you got to do what's best for you, Hannah. We're going to all go and do this. But if you feel that God blessed you with this, and now you got to wait because you've got a mission of your own, God says, do what is best for you. I love that. Do what is best for you. Sometimes people are going to try to take you another direction. But you got to stop and say, I got to do what's best for me. And if it aligns with God's will, that's just icing on the cake. 
Because guess what? When it's really good and it's really different, they're going to try to steer you from doing what's best for you. They, whoever, you can insert names, you can insert people, it can be a certain group, whatever, whatever fills your situation, you have to do what's best for you at the end of the day. Because God commissioned you to bring the baby. People don't like that. God didn't commit to them for your purpose. He committed to you to deliver your perfect plan. So what does she do? She prayed, pleaded, anguished, got the baby, followed through, and now what is she going to do again because she, she followed through and, and, and she's joyful and she's excited? Chapter 2, verse 1, here it is again. What does she do? She prays again. She prays at the beginning. She prays at the end. You don't just pray when you're thanking God. You thank God for the, for the problem in the beginning because you know he's going to deliver you. And that's what she did. She pleaded with God in thanksgiving, and now she's rejoicing in thanksgiving. You see, it's secular. Hannah's prayer, verse 1 says, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. I delight in your deliverance. You delivered me, God. You did what you said you would do. You did it. I follow through, and now I'm thankful because I have succeeded in this step that now my baby, someone say my baby's going to be a prophet? What? You see what I'm saying? Like, that's, some, that's a proud mom right there. That's a proud mom. That mom allowed it to happen. That mom is what caused it to happen. No David without Hannah. You getting this? No Saul, even in all his treachery and horrible doing, without Hannah. Because we needed Saul to get to David. We need them all. We need them all. It's a team thing. Verse 11 to chapter 2, my last passage for today. It says, then Elkanah, remember Hannah's husband, went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. So at this point, Hannah has taken the baby to Eli, and she's now praying again in thanksgiving. Sometimes you don't want to give thanks, and then sometimes you feel overwhelmed with joy in the weirdest times when everybody else is looking at you, like in worship. It's a good time to be overwhelmed with joy. When some people don't, don't feel it, that's okay. It's not for them. That's your moment. That's your moment. Do what is best for you. She gave another prayer of thanksgiving. Just like she pleaded in the prayer in the beginning, she gives thanks for the prayer at the time she leaves Samuel at Eli's. And now Samuel is starting his mission. Isn't that cool? Samuel is now starting to become what God, remember David was, he handled sheep? Remember when David was dealing with sheep and getting the snakes out of there and all the things trying to get the sheep? And he's like, I can take out that giant. And they laughed at him. See, the mission started back then. The mission started before the world recognized it. And Samuel just started the mission now that's going to deliver the king, David, later. She gave prayer and thanksgiving. Hannah 
Thank you for opening the door in your commitment. Because Samuel just didn't fall into Eli's courts. He was delivered by mama. Maybe we should just go home and thank our moms today. Maybe it's your dad, like whoever, whoever brought you to it and left you with enough that you should take it. And maybe that little nugget they gave you is what got you into church 15 years later. Like thank them because there's no I in team. And now you could be in Samuel's shoes and not even know it. I'm not saying you're like a prophet. I don't even, you know, this was for them. That's a different dispensation. So don't get like crazy on me. I'm just saying like God wants to use you to do something for someone else. It could be your own children. It could be your own lineage. It could be your own church. It could be someone at Starbucks. You don't even know, but God does. God will bless those he trusts. So you can pray in the beginning and you can pray at the end and you can pray in the middle. If y'all could stand this morning, this first week we wanted to cover the fact that she was blessed through the sacrifice. She was blessed through the sacrifice. She started with prayer and she ended with prayer. So when you're evaluating a situation of how do I handle this, God, start it with prayer and end it with prayer. Let prayer be the mediator. That is our petition to God. We are petitioning our Father through prayer. And Hannah knew that. That's wisdom. And God desires we all be wise with our prayer. Is there someone in between you and your calling right now? You can have a Hannah, or you can have Elkanah's wife, Pinata, who's trying to pull you out of that thing. So assess the situation and say, is someone trying to get in between me and God and stop me? Is someone in between me and God and taking me closer? I want to yield to them. I want to yield to the ones that are bringing me into the house, not pushing me out of it. I want to yield to the ones that tell me I should go anyway, even when I don't feel like it. I should do it anyway, even when it's not comfortable, because they actually love me the most, because they know that the, that the real thing hurts sometimes. The ones that only give you the, give you the pat when it feels good to them, it's because they're trying to take something from you. And that's something in between you don't want. You want to get that out of the equation. Keep them on the side so you can keep them in your witness journey, but don't let them be the one that take you off the course. That makes sense. Sometimes we got to let them go to start to grow. You need a godly step in discipleship. That's why small groups matter, and we're going to have more of them as time goes on. We need community. That's why in-person church matters. We need discipleship. We need time together in God's Word, in God's relationships, to see and feel everything that God is in this place. That's why we need it, because if we don't feel it, we can't give it away. The only way to find blessing is through sacrifice. Let's pray. God, I pray that this word has penetrated a heart today and stirred the soil. That in 30 minutes, you could change the next 10 years. That in 30 minutes, you could change the outlook of eternity because of what the individual saw different in Hannah. And they are just one representation of, of the testimony of faith that so many in the word and so many in this house and so many in this world are demonstrating and still continue to demonstrate even when they are provoked 
even when they feel barren, even when they feel that nothing is, is going to come about it, they're still standing up in anguish and saying, God, you are number one no matter what, and I give it all to you. I lay it at your feet, and God, I will not walk in fear because I know that if you're on my side, the devil is a liar, and I will not live in fear and let him hold me back and come in between my relationship with you because my relationship with you is the only way I'll have a good relationship with them because if I don't get that right, nothing will go right in my life. So you got to be number one. And so I'm going to stand here today and declare that you are number one, God. You are number one in my house. You are number one in my church. You are number one in my job. And you're number one out at the park when somebody makes me mad. You are number one, God. And I will not let that be stripped from me, that you be the one in between me and my future. You are the one taking me to my future. So God, we let everybody here recognize that, that you, the Lord, Messiah, Jesus Christ, are the one to take us further, and we will not let that stray. God, you're so good. Let us, let us praise now. Let us give thanks now. God, you are so good. We're going to go out and worship. We give all the praise and honor that the house of God right now can say in Jesus' name. Amen.